Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan, and we have another action-packed show here for you today to kick off your week as we are barreling towards mid-season. That's right. This week is week six. We are officially hitting the halfway point of the college football season. I can't believe how quickly it seems to go every year. September ends. We end up in October, and we're staring down literally the second half of the football season, and it's just so nuts how we wait for the season to start with so much anticipation. It seems like it takes so long to get here, and all of a sudden, lo and behold, we're in week six. I did miss a week of the episode of the podcast. I'm sorry about that. A lot of you know things to do, as usual. Everybody's busy. So week four and week five are in the books. And rather than sit here and try to recap everything and every pick and every analysis and everything else that we've done, you know, either on the podcast or on the social platforms, we just decided that today we will just devote it towards what a lot of people around the sport will refer to for years and years. And you've heard this if you've, you know, listened to any sort of football commentary or watched the sport for any amount of time the expression mid-season form. And as we approach mid-season here, we are seeing some of these teams begin to take form in different ways, different shapes, and really starting to kind of tell us a little bit about themselves, right? Now, I've always been a huge proponent of you never really find out how good a team is in September. September's more in my opinion, you can find out where a, a team's floor is rather than their ceiling. That's that's what I, I wholeheartedly believe in because I do believe that, you know, once again, you're never going to get exactly the same version, I think, of a team across every single game because the season is fluid. It's 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 a people business. It's There are human beings that play this game, which means that teams have a life of their own. And some teams are not healthy right now. Some teams are, you know, still developing a little bit in some way, shape, or form. Some teams, personality-wise, haven't quite found the right combination to really hit their stride or hit their ceiling, I believe. I believe that there are teams out there that have higher heights to hit. And we'll see that, I believe, in what I like to call the championship months, October, certainly November, as the season stretches on. But I do believe that September's a good time to figure out where a team's floor potentially could be. Like, just how bad could this team be? Uh, because they're still working out the kinks, right, And for a lot of teams. And some teams are not healthy coming out of training camp, especially if you are at some of the bigger, more physical programs that really take a toll on themselves coming into the year. So you do have some teams that, like I said, have not hit their full potential yet. And what are these teams looking like, right, as we go through, how do we assess this? How do we rank this right now? How do we make sense of this season in our heads? Because I believe that there has been just sort of this expectation, right, uh, as of recent years that there is supposed to be a team or two that really separate themselves from the pack, that really appear to be what a lot of people would consider to be 
a tier above the rest of the field and everybody else is just competing for second. And I feel like this season, that's not the case. I feel like this season, we have not seen the sort of parity and the the close relationship and the power distances of conferences top to bottom, conferences as they relate to each other, certain teams that have been dormant for a long time, seemingly coming awake and coming alive, teams that have dominated the, the, the scene over recent years, looking like they're having a bit of an off year. I can't really tell you right now who I would consider to be, you know, in the future, right? At playoff time, who is going to take the cake or who I can, you know, confidently say beyond the shadow of a doubt is going to be there at the finish line. Everybody has their preseason, you know, conceptions about this. Everybody has their preseason hypotheses, right? But once again, right now, the picture is just so flooded because there seems to be so many different contenders at this point in time. I mean, like legitimately the field I've never seen in, you know, I would say for several years, you know, with, with certain programs, the way that they have dominated the scene, it's been a long time. I feel like since we've seen such a crowded field, such a room packed full of potential killers and, you know, contenders and pretenders on both sides of that coin, you know, as we push into these later months. Right. But as of right now, it, it seems like everybody's got a shot at it. And so as I sit back and they've released the new AP top 25 and coaches top 25 coming out today, I've taken a little bit of exception to where the positioning of some of these teams are at. And I have thoughts on where we are, you know, quote unquote consensus putting these teams, right? I, I, I have beef with some of this because – for me, I feel like we need to – I am of the opinion that, you know, when when the season's playing out and I'm seeing things and hearing things before my very eyes and ears and, and watching the games and watching how this all plays out, you really have to – you, you have to take a look at what's happening, right? Week, week in, week out, you have to take a look at, at how a team is performing, what you're seeing on the field, right? As they say, the tape don't lie. You know, the tape might not lie, but, you know, there's always context nuance, but the, the preseason misconceptions, holding on to those for the sake of trying to ride with what you, what you thought it was going to be and holding on to that, and not giving teams their credit and their due for how they're performing on the field, I just find to be kind of silly. And so as I look at this, starting at the top of the list, we still have the Georgia Bulldogs, my team, sitting at number one in all the country. And I got to tell you, I find that to be horse hockey at this point in time. Because I feel like if a national championship game was lined up right now. If the, if we were to take, you know, a, a playoff picture, top four, top eight, whatever it is right now, I am not confident at all that Georgia comes out on top because I do not believe that Georgia at this point in time, from what I've seen on the tape, how I've seen them play, that they are the best team in the country right now. Now, there's a couple of reasons for this. In my opinion, there's a couple of reasons. First off, this isn't an opinion. This is a fact. They're not 
healthy right now. They're not 100% healthy. They are missing the presence of right tackle Marius Mims. Just got back Lad McConkey into the rotation for the game that we just saw them play at Auburn in Jordan-Hare. Not, still not 100% clearly. Didn't take a whole lot of snaps. <clears throat> Looks like Rara Thomas might have gotten dinged up in that competition as well. Just got Javon Bullard back into the rotation. They've been dealing with some health concerns across the board. The backfield is still absolutely in shambles. So that's that's factor number one. Number two, breaking in a new starting quarterback, although has been there last couple of years, new offensive coordinator into the system. And then number three, missing a lot of those NFL bodies that have been drafted over the last couple of years. I mean, it does get tough when you know you send that amount of talent back-to-back years off to the NFL and they're no longer on your roster. Although you have a lot of talented guys that have been sitting on the bench, you know, a lot of these guys are in their roles for the first time or rotating in for the first time or because of injury being asked to step up for the first time. And so right now what you see is a Georgia team that, albeit, is still arguably the most talented roster in the country, but just not the best team right now, not the, not the most fluid operation. I'm sorry, but they've had two Power 5 matchups this season. One against South Carolina, who has proven to be, once again, just sort of a mid-tier SEC team. You know, they're competitive. They'll fight. But, you know, again, nothing to write home about, especially on the national scale. And an Auburn program that's in the middle of a rebuild. And the margin of victory for between both of those contests has just been 17 points. Right? I mean, you divide that by two, that's eight and a half points that this Georgia team has beaten Auburn and South Carolina, and by the way, trailed for significant amount of time to both of those teams. I'm sorry, but this is not the best team in the country right now. They're not. They are, indeed, back-to-back reigning national champions. That is true. They are, in fact nursing a 21 or 22 game winning streak. They haven't lost since they played Alabama in the SEC championship game back in 2021. This is all true. This is also true. This is a new season. This is 2023. This is not 2021 or 2022. This is 2023. This is a new version of this team. And albeit that this is still an elite championship caliber program, this particular team has a lot of issues. They start slow. They turn the ball over. They have moments where they do not execute. The rush defense this year for Georgia is not a stone wall like you would have expected over the last several years. You can get a little push on them. That was proven in Jordan-Hare by Auburn. Auburn outrushed Georgia in that competition just this past Saturday. So when you take a look at this team, A lot of holes, a lot of questions. Now, I still do believe for all the money, if I had to go out and buy a defense, I'm still buying Georgia's defense. They have the best defense in the country, and this is what I mean by that. I understand statistically there are defenses that are better, but when you have to have it, when you have to have that impact play, when you have to have that sack, that that forced fumble, that interception, that stand, that fourth and inches – That is the defense you want on the field. 
and I'm not going to debate that. They still have what I consider to be the most talented, most athletic, most versatile defensive unit on any football field at any given time. I do believe that. The offense has the mass match pace. Seeing a little bit better stuff in special teams from them, but they do have to get healthy. They do have to put it all together. They have to execute at a higher clip, start faster, and find a way not to be sluggish and finding themselves trailing week after week because eventually that is a losing recipe. And I don't know when it's going to come, but if Georgia cannot figure those things out, they have one or two or three losses by the time it all shakes out postseason-wise in their future. So we'll see if they can continue to build. Next team I want to talk about is Michigan, sitting there at number two. Michigan, solid football team. That hasn't changed. But are we convinced that they are the number two team in all of the country? Because I haven't seen anything out of Michigan that would indicate that they've taken a step forward over the last couple of years. And let's talk about what happened the last couple of years, right? So they win the Big Ten twice, okay? Nothing to scoff at. Good. That's a good, that's a, a good conference. That's a good conference, all right? It's, it's one of the top two conferences in college football most years. So they win it two years in a row. They defeat their arch rival in Ohio State two years in a row. Impressive stuff. They make the college football playoff two years in a row, and guess what they do? They lose in the, in the semi, semifinal. They get absolutely shellacked by Georgia in 2021. They find a way to slip on the banana peel and lose to TCU in 2022. And in fact, if you go back and you look at Michigan's postseason record over the last, I don't know how many years at this point, it is not good. It's horrendous, in fact. I don't know what it is. I think it's O in something. If I'm, I'd have to look this up exactly, but it's, it is bad. Look it up for yourself. Go ahead. Michigan on a national scale, especially when they start playing some of the talent that they've earned the right to play, I will say that, okay, they've earned the right to play, but when they play that talent outside of the Big Ten, it doesn't go well for them historically. So I don't understand how we can sit here and look at the same Michigan program that looks like the same Michigan program from the last couple of years and sit here and convince ourselves that they're still the second best team in all of college football. I'm sorry, but I'm not seeing it because it's just the same version of the team that we've seen the last couple of years. And let's say they do go on and they do once again three-peat and win the Big Ten. I'm not convinced this is a team that gets over the hump in the in the playoff at that point in time. So I, I got question marks about Michigan. I don't feel like they're even the best team in their division this year. I really don't. I feel like that gap has been closed savagely, again, by their arch nemesis, and also another team that we'll probably talk about. Well, let's just talk about it right now. Let's talk about them right now. Let's address Let's address the, uh, the elephant in the room, right? Penn State. Penn State, Ohio State, okay? It is very clear that Ohio State has put an investment in becoming a more physical football team, in becoming a more defensive football team, a more sound football team in the trenches, Ryan Day is taking the hint that some other coaches, <laughs> Lincoln Riley, can't seem to take across the sport that, hey, having a quarterback that can spin it for umpteen thousand yards and having a bunch of flashy pass catchers and skill guys, that's all great. That's all wonderful. But like I say, as long as there is a line of scrimmage in this sport, as long as there is a line of scrimmage, 
It will be one on the line of scrimmage. Trench play is going to matter. And Ohio State was introduced to that fact a few times over the last couple of years under Ryan Day. I think he understood, once again, exactly what Lou Holtz's criticism was. I don't know if that's still fair to say at this time. That they weren't tough. They weren't physical. They, they didn't have it. As you can see, last couple of years, Ohio State has put that investment in there because they are structuring themselves in a way that if they do lose to Michigan, it's not going to be because of a lack of physicality. It's not going to be because of a lack of the ability to stand up in the trenches. You're going to have to find another different way to beat them if you're Michigan. That's the investment that's been made. Penn State, through elite-level recruiting, some of the best in the country over the last couple of years, James Franklin learning from some of these mistakes, some of these boneheaded things that he had done over the last few years, first few years of his tenure there in Happy Valley, is putting together a team that looks very formidable in terms of the ability to control the game, the ability not to rush and do foolish things that you would have seen out of him in previous years and really learning how to trust their talent and trust their roster. And sometimes if that puts them in a position where maybe once again, like we talked about with Georgia, they're starting a little bit slower. He understands he has the roster to wait you out. They are healthy right now, by the way. They're very solid on the defensive side of the ball. Offense takes a little while to get going, but once they get hot, they get hot. We have seen them pull away from every opponent that they have played this year. Their West Virginia win looks better and better each week that that team seems to find a way to pull out a win, by the way. So once again, solid out-of-conference win that's aging better as the season's gone on. We saw them absolutely just blank Iowa, shut them out for the first time. Or, yeah, it was Iowa. Yeah, the Hawkeyes. First time in 22 years, I believe, is the statistic that that team has been shut out, shut out by Penn State pulled away from them completely, right? And then once again, this past weekend, we see them in a little bit of a pitched battle with Northwestern, but they get it figured out to the tune of, of rolling on them in the third quarter, win that competition by a healthy margin. Pulling away from these teams, putting away these teams, not letting them hang around, shutting the door on them. That is a Penn State team that is more dangerous than the Penn State teams of the past because you have seen in the past these Penn State rosters have a tendency to kind of leave that door open, leave it up for the possibility of that team clawing back into it. They're putting teams away. I think this is a very good Penn State team. Very good. In fact, I think it's good enough to win the Big Ten East potentially. I think they are just as good, every bit as good as Ohio State I think that both Penn State and Ohio State are potentially better than Michigan. So that's my spiel on them. Let's take it to another team that has really risen, if you will, to the occasion from what we've normally seen out of them. That's Texas. For my money right now, I think that Texas is indeed, at this point in time, right now, at this point in the season, the best team in college football. They've had the best start at 5-0 and since 2009. They're taking care of the football, plus-five turnover ratio, 
They're running it well at five yards per attempt across the entire roster. Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell over 300 yards receiving a piece. The defensive front is a unit that can disrupt and protect a lead. This was something that Texas could not do over the last several years, going back to the Tom Herman years. This Texas's Achilles heel was their ability to put away games. It was the ability to close the door on their opponents and play competent defensive football for four quarters. We're seeing a Longhorn squad that can finally do that with improved quarterback play from Quinn Ewers last year. It seems that he has taken a step forward coming into this year. He's taking what defenses are giving him, and he has a incredibly talented skill position room to distribute the ball to. Jonathan Brooks is absolutely running like his hair is on fire. He already has over 500 yards rushing on the season. This is a team that is dangerous. They're dangerous in the lines of scrimmage, and they're for real. Texas is for real right now. I I really do feel like they are a for real team right now. That does not necessarily mean that I I think that it's just a a certain they're going to beat Oklahoma this upcoming weekend here at the Red River Shootout. We'll talk about Oklahoma, but Texas, a much improved squad, and for my money, the best team in the country right now as of today. Oklahoma, speaking of, once again, 5-0 and on the season to start. 5-0 and against the spread coming into this year. We talked about how Brent Venables wanted to erase sort of the taste of last year. And they've come into the season with real energy and a focus on erasing what was an embarrassing and substandard 2022. What I really have taken away from this team when I look at them on tape is a couple of things. Number one, their pass protection has improved drastically. Just four sacks given up at this point in the year across five games. So far, that's outstanding. And that's allowed Dylan Gabriel to enjoy 10.1 Yards per average completion, 15 to 2 touchdown to interception ratio, 189.4 rating on the season. And that is impressive play from that veteran season signal caller who was hit, hurried, harassed all last year because of the lack of ability to protect him in the pocket that we saw out of the Sooners. The other thing that I'm seeing out of this Oklahoma squad this year, I'm sure every one of us has seen, is defensively they are so much more sound. And I think that that is not only Brent Venables, obviously that side of the ball, he's going to coach him up well. He's going to invest most of his energy on that side of the ball because that's what he's known for. But also the personnel changeover from the Lincoln-Riley regime. One of the biggest criticisms of Oklahoma defenders was they were very small in the secondary. They went with like a lot of smaller zone body types, you know, the five nines, the five tens. They have bigger DBs walking around there. They have their six footers, their six ones, their five elevens. But you know, a lot of their, the, 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 the defensive backfield personnel are standing up at about six foot, 200 pounds. So they've, they've got some length and strength back there in the secondary that I think's really paid dividends for them. And it is a ball-hawking secondary coming in to this part of the year with already eight interceptions across the squad, right? Several passes defended, and then the linebacker play much better 
than we've seen out of Oklahoma the last couple of years with a defensive standout in Danny Stutzman. Uh, this guy wears number 28. He's six foot four. He's about 245 pounds. So he's literally about the size of an edge rusher playing off the ball linebacker. Really solid player. Stud has shown up in every single defensive category um, and is having a hell of a season for the Sooners. And it's exciting to see Oklahoma get back to playing defensive football again. So I, I really do think that Oklahoma, you know, on, on both polls, they're rated about 12. On mine, I have them at 11. I think they're properly rated. Just kind of scratching the surface of being sort of in that top 10 conversation. I think that the the matchup with Texas coming up this weekend will go a long way to kind of figuring out exactly where Oklahoma is in the pecking order. But already you can see a drastic improvement, at least to this point in the season, out of this Sooner squad compared to what we saw last year. Alabama left for dead after the loss to Texas and then the substandard performance against USF. So many people thought they were dead and gone. What did they do? They rotated Jalen Milrow back into the starting position at quarterback. They have found an identity on the offensive side of the ball. It's the run game. It's the quarterback run game. It's the setup play action hit deep shots. That's what they're doing, and they're doing it. They're doing it efficiently. They're doing it pretty well. And then defensively, okay. This, if you're to, if you're going to look at a defensive unit that also has the stats that go along with the moxie, this Alabama defensive unit is among the finest in the country. You know, you could talk one A, one B, Alabama, Georgia. There's some really good defenses out there right now, but in terms of just you know, the athleticism, the the playmaking ability, the splash ability, and then the down-to-down ability, I think Alabama actually has the edge with what they've been able to do defensively. And it has carried them up to this point in the season, and I think they're becoming a more dangerous team. I believe that with Jalen Milrow at the quarterback position, I don't know if they can win at all, okay? I'm not sure about that. But I am going to say that Alabama – even with the quote-unquote diminished offensive prowess that they're going to have this year, is still very much a top-10 football team. Probably a top-six, maybe even a top-four football team because of the talent that they still have on that roster. When you have talent like that, you have a puncher's chance every single time. Every single time. So they are a dangerous football team. And for the folks that seem to think that Alabama's just dead and gone, they're not their former self, but they may not need to be in a year where once again, we are seeing nobody really rise up and really snatch that upper tier position as, you know, unbeatable in all of college football. I don't think we've seen that yet. Right. So once again, Alabama still dangerous, the fighting Irish, Notre Dame quality win, by the way, against Duke in a tough road environment against what I would consider to be a very legitimate ACC squad, well-coached, both sides of the ball, physical, both sides of the ball. A lot of people don't realize this about Duke is they're an old team, right? This is a team that is chock full of grad transfers, graduates, redshirt juniors. These guys are grown men on this Duke squad. They play with a lot of physicality. They play very sound. 
They're extremely well coached. So it was a great win by Notre Dame to go into Durham and get that win against the Blue Devils. Came down to the final drive. What I've taken away from Notre Dame, once again, they have a massive and talented, well-coached offensive line. Their defense is one of the most elite in the country. Again, they have a stud tight end. Wide receiver positions, okay? We did say we're a little bit of a liability, but I feel like sort of week in and week out getting some good on-the-job reps to where I think they're going to continue to develop towards a better product as the season moves on. And Sam Hartman, they got their quarterback. The poise, the composure that it took to drive down that field the final play, the final series of plays, I should say, to go score that touchdown, to pull the ball down on a 4th and 12, might have been 4th and 15 even, scramble, put the head down, put lower the shoulder, get that, not panic, not rattled in any way, shape, or form. That is something that Notre Dame at the quarterback position has been missing for a while, and that is why they went out and got a guy like Sam Hartman. He makes that team better. They got a quality win. They're going to continue to rack up wins because they are a good football team. And they're a handful of plays away from being undefeated and having that win over Ohio State. Which, by the way, great win for Ohio State. Once again, got to give them kudos. But Notre Dame still a very dangerous and very good football team. USC. The Trojans, they are snake oil. If they are sitting in the top 10, which they are, by the way, on the AP top 25, they have them at ninth. On the coaches poll, they have them at seventh. This is a head scratcher for me. This is a head scratcher for me, and I got to be honest with you. Anybody that watched that game that they played with Colorado and watched USC piss away a 27-point lead all the way down to the final minutes of the game to survive in Boulder, 48-41, allowing Colorado to push them around in the run game, to outrush them in yards per carry, total yards, to hit explosive plays on them time and time again, going to largely the same pass catcher in Omarion Miller. Hell of a game, by the way, for that young man. And you have this team as a top 10 team. Let me tell you why they're not a top 10 team. I think it's obvious from the effort issues that they had on the defensive side of the ball, but it really all goes back to the coach, in my opinion. Can we stop pretending that Lincoln Riley is one of the best coaches in college football? I don't think he's one of the best. Let me let me rephrase. Can we pretend that he's stopped pretending, rather, that he's one of the best head coaches in all of college football. I think this guy is a quarterback coach, personally. I've said that before, and my suspicions are once again confirmed. I think he's a very good quarterback coach. I think he's a good passing game coordinator. I think he's a decent offensive coordinator. As far as a head man goes, I think he has his head so far up his game plan on the offensive side of the ball that he 
continuously fails to recognize the pulse of the actual game. You mean to tell me that you can't prepare your team to play with enough physicality to get pushed in the run game against a Colorado, a team that, mind you, every other opponent that they've played for the most part has been able to run on them consistently. Consistently outdo them in the run in the running game. Shut down their run on the defensive side of the ball. USC did a horrible job of that because, once again, we've got Alex Grinch. Alex Grinch is a total liability on that coaching staff, right? You put your quarterback out there to throw the ball X amount of times. You're dialing up pass play after pass play after pass play, taking low percentage passes, low percentage shot plays to the sideline, putting your tired defense back out there again. Lincoln Riley doesn't understand how to protect his defense. Like, it takes more effort and intensity to play defense than it does to play offense because the defense is automatically at three disadvantages. They don't know the play, they don't know the snap count, and the offense controls the tempo at which the ball is snapped. And you're putting that unit on the field repeatedly over and over and over again because you can't call a game with some fucking balance because you don't have a team that is physically prepared or tough enough to actually be able to run the ball. That's garbage. Colorado had no business playing on the field in terms of the talent that they went up against with the USC Trojans. And because of coaching incompetence, it became a game in the second half. Wildly impressed, by the way, with Dion's coaching staff, their ability to get the most out of those players in the second half and continue to be mentally resilient in that game. Have questions about exactly what Coach Lewis was doing there in the last final drive. Felt like the clock management on Colorado was absolutely horrible. It felt like they went for the moral victory instead of really going for the victory, especially when Shador had the hot hand at that point in time and it seemed like they could get anything they wanted in the passing game. Some of those calls, some of those run calls with no timeouts left on a running clock really was a little head-scratching. All that being said, that would be my one ding in the second half for Colorado's coaching staff. All that being said, I thought their ability to adjust was incredibly impressive and I don't think Lincoln Riley and his staff actually has an ability to adjust. So, all that being said, USC might make it to the playoff. Who knows? They may. They very well may. They will not win a national title. They're not going to do it. And they have probably the best quarterback in the country. But they're not going to do it because they are an incomplete team. And I do not believe they're actually a top 10 team. I don't believe that they should be above Washington. I don't believe they should be above Oregon. I believe that Alabama beats them, beats them badly in the trenches right now. I mean, physically beats them up. I think Notre Dame physically beats them up. I think Oklahoma could beat this team too. So to have them up in the top like six to eight or nine, it's just to me, from what I've seen, I've seen enough out of USC to know that they're a one-trick pony once again coming into this year. So shame on, poo-poo to you. Uh, you you give up a 27-point lead in a game that you were supposed to win by 22, and you survive on the road against Colorado. Amazing. Incredible to me.
how that even came to be. Pushing on, taking a look at through the teens, right? Just some quick thoughts on some of these other teams that we haven't really talked about. North Carolina, still improved from last year, still think they might be a pretender once they do collide with some of their foes in the ACC. I think, you know, once again, Miami, Florida State, those are going to be some serious tests, I think, for North Carolina. It'd be really interesting to see how they handle that. Washington State with Cam Ward, dude, that is a quarterback that is finally starting to get a little bit of love, I think, through the uh, the sports media. That's another guy that is putting up some incredible numbers at the Pac-12. It seems like the Pac-12 is just so loaded with the quarterback position right now that he's kind of getting lost in the shuffle. But once again, Washington State, a team that I think has a very high ceiling. I just don't know exactly where the floor is at right now. Um, and again, you know, maybe we've already seen their floor. So if that's the case, then, you know, Washington state is going to be, I think that dark horse sleeper team to make a push for the conference. We'll really see what they're made of here, pushing forward in October and November Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss anywhere in the teens is still, in my opinion, overrated because they have them ahead of teams like Oregon state, Miami, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, I think that these teams that I just mentioned are a little more sound across all facets of the game than Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss just dragged LSU into one of their type of games this last weekend and just turned it into that shootout style back and forth where they were able to get that win. That's their wheelhouse. But once again, a lot of holes in Ole Miss's game. So I, I just, I'm not convinced that they're better than some of the teams that they're ranked ahead of right now. Miami. This is a good football team. This Miami football team is physical. They play a lot better up front on the offensive line. They have a veteran signal caller. Their defense is very good. Very stout. Extremely athletic. This is an exciting Miami team. And I think that I, I'm not convinced that this is a Miami team that's going to win the ACC or maybe even play for the ACC. But what I am going to say is this is a Miami team that is a absolutely a step in the right direction if you are Mario Cristobal and company because these are your recruits starting to hit the field. These are your transfer portal guys starting to hit the field, and they are, they are performing. They are putting out the product on the field. The win against A&M was huge. That is a huge win at home. That was a big recruiting win at home. I think they're going to continue to build, and I think this is going to be one of those seasons that sets up you know, some good seasons for the Hurricanes in the future. Really, really interested to see how they handle you know, their upcoming matchup here with, well, let, let's take a look at it. They've got Georgia Tech coming up. I'm pretty sure they're going to splatter them. But that, that North Carolina-Clemson stretch right there, uh, you know, in the later weeks of October, I think is really going to tell us a lot about how legitimate this Hurricane squad is. But right now, I would say Tar Heels and the Clemson Tigers both do not sleep on the Hurricanes. I don't think you're going to get the same version of them that you've seen over the last several years, right? Um, Clemson, not a top 25 team coming out in the polls and in the coaches' polls, but a team, in my opinion, that once again is just a couple of plays away from actually being undefeated at this point. We've documented what Clemson's shortcomings have been. I think the media has done a really good job of doing that. 
any opportunity that they were going to get to jump on Dabo and his lack of use of the transfer portal and everything else, they were going to go ahead and do that, right? And they have holes in their game too, but Clemson, a team that I feel from, you know, sort of the the opening matchup with Duke where, you know, they took that L and it was embarrassing and it was ugly and it was, oh God, they look like they're dead in the water. Week in and week out has improved. Week in and week out has decided to build on what what it is that they're doing and you know once again really gave Florida State a hell of a contest you know uh taking them into overtime everything else so I you know I do think that Clemson is a better team than what their record and what their ranking is going to reflect at this time would not be surprised to see them crack back into the top 25 before the season's over and prove that they are still one of the best teams in the ACC um, as the season continues to shake out because they just, once again, they have the roster to do it. I think that, uh, you know, they've improved some things across the coaching staff as well. I think their player development has gotten maybe a little bit better, um, you know, from that aspect of things, maybe a little bit less stale. And I think they will continue to get good dividends out of their roster pushing forward. So we could see them jump back into the top 25. Utah, man, I'll tell you what, Utah. It so listen, I'm a closet Utah fan. I, I really do like that program. I like Kyle Whittingham as a coach. I think he's been fantastic for a very long time. I like the way that they coach their players. I love the culture that they coach their players with out there. That all being said, culture is just not quite enough when you are missing so many key players, not to mention your signal caller, not to mention your top target at, at uh, Brent Keithy in the tight end room not to mention some guys on the defensive side of the ball, a couple of guys in the trenches. This is a team that's been very snake bit by injury, and to be honest with you, I'm actually shocked, surprised, and applaud the coaching job to even go into that competition with Oregon State at 4-0. Um, they, are, they, they did take a big hit. They've come down quite a bit. This is just a team that, just simply needs to get healthy. And and like we said, like we said, um, Utah, a team that has been known for their toughness, their physicality, their ability to run, their defenses with Morgan Scowley as the defensive coordinator over the last several years, one of those teams. But a team that was able to reach up to a higher level with Cam Rising at quarterback. Right, And we said that this team was a different team without him at quarterback. So I feel like if he comes back, they get those guys back. They're healthy. They're even able to play. If Cam Rising is even able to play at 80% of what Cam Rising can do, they're automatically a better football team. I am not going to say that they are dead in the water. They have a competition with Cal coming up on the 14th. They need to get healthy. And, and you see that they have a bye week you know, kind of worked in there, which is great. They need to get healthy for this back half of the stretch because even if they were to get their roster back after Cal, you've got USC, Oregon, Washington in uh, three those three competitions in a, in a month stretch with Arizona State is basically your only reprieve at that time. So it's going to be tough, tough hole for Utah to climb out of. Like I said. You know, Pac-12 right now is loaded with some killers. 
and they are going to cannibalize themselves a little bit. We'll see if Utah can claw their way back out of this this mess that they've kind of gotten themselves in. Kentucky cracks the top 25 for hitting Florida in the mouth the way that they did. Now, here's the deal. Florida, once again, yeah, they got the home win against Tennessee. They bullied Tennessee. Tennessee didn't play well on the road again. Their gimmicky offense didn't work that night, yada, yada, so on and so forth. Never was I, and I don't think anybody that really pays attention were either convinced that Florida was a top 25 team. I thought that they were ranked prematurely even for beating Tennessee. I thought a lot of people were kind of like, oh, great, here it comes again, and lo and behold, there it is. Florida's back in the top 25. Just one of those situations where it's like if they have a pulse at all, you know, the, the media loves to throw them in the top 25. Kentucky just dismantles them, right, and cracks the top 25. Now, do I think that Kentucky, based off of that merit, is a top 20 roster, top 20 team, excuse me, um, you know, perhaps, perhaps I, they, they dominated that game thoroughly. They did what a good team, like I said, I say this all the time. They did what a good team does to a bad team. They dominated them thoroughly through that competition. Now I know they played at home. I got it all that, but they did look good in that contest against a conference opponent. They have Georgia. Next on the slate, I should say Georgia has them, maybe. I don't know who has who in this competition coming up with Kentucky. This one scares me a little bit more than it has in the past, right? Obviously, given everything that I talked about with Georgia and their shortcomings. So I think it'll be an interesting competition. I do think that, you know, if you're going to put them in here in the top 25, I don't hate it. Um, but you know, we'll see if they remain in after that competition with Georgia. If Georgia handles business the way that I think they could or should, we'll see. You know, do you keep Kentucky in the top 25 is more of my question. Like, do you know, do you bounce them back out or do they they hold on to the last spot or something like that? This is the biggest this is this right here, what I'm about to get into here. I, I gotta talk about this team because this this is the biggest travesty of it all. LSU ranked in the top 25. Two losses, okay? Two losses. The blowout that you took to Florida State, okay? Eh, okay, all right, got it. There wasn't no real shame in that, maybe, because, you know, Florida State has done nothing but win ever since then and, and look like, you know, once again, a, a very, very formidable football team. But then you turn around and you lose this shootout to Ole Miss, a team that I don't think is complete, a team that, you know, quote unquote, the the uh, the dead Alabama, the zombie Alabama was able to dominate and beat thoroughly, right? And you lose to them three and two, and you're still sitting here in the top twenty-five. I've got some serious beef with this. Why not Texas A&M? Texas A&M right now is sitting at four and one with. A more convincing win over Arkansas than LSU was able to gut out at home. They have a more convincing win against Auburn than Georgia just demonstrated. Okay, they dominated that team more thoroughly. Yes, they have the loss to Miami, but once again, an undefeated Miami squad still hasn't taken a loss yet. And they dominated the rest of their non-con opponents in, in, in dominant, dominant fashion. They look like a much better team 
than what we saw out of the out of the Aggies last year. And you're telling me that two loss LSU is still worthy of being in the top 25? What about undefeated Maryland? How about that? How about undefeated Maryland? Maryland right now is second in the standings in the Big Ten East. All right? They are behind Ohio State, right ahead of Penn State, and Michigan. They're sandwiched right in there. And Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan are all ranked, but Maryland is not. Undefeated Maryland is not. And you're telling me they don't deserve to be in the top 25, but two loss LSU with holes all in their fucking game deserves to be in there. LSU has no defense. They have no defense. They're not getting the most out of their defense. They have stars. They have star rating on that side of the defense, but it's not coming together. Their secondary, their corners are absolute liabilities. The safeties are liabilities. Their back end is trash. You are going to be able to throw on that all year long, and they are not getting the most out of their front seven either. Offensively, they can put up points. They can be frustrating. They have really good skill players. They have a quarterback that can create with his legs and his arm. He's taking a step forward as a passer, especially outside the pocket and on the move. But they can't protect the lead. They are the equivalent of the same things that we said about Texas, the same things we said about Oklahoma. That's basically what they've kind of turned into. They've turned into that version of a team, and that is not a team, in my opinion, that deserves to be rated at this point in the season. Top 25 with two losses. They have more losses coming. I believe Texas A&M, with their pass catchers, with their passing attacks, is going to be able to exploit with their athletes the same things that these other teams for LSU have been able to exploit. And I think on the defensive side of the ball, it's much more sound. You know, I... I was favoring in preseason LSU to get the win over AM. Now I'm not convinced. What about Kansas State? We have Missouri ranked in the top 25, undefeated 5-0. Mizzou's looking better than I would have expected coming into this year. That is Kansas State's loss. They have a loss to them. But Kansas State also handled business against UCF. They handled business against Troy. have gone on to win. Well, UCF did lose that game this last weekend. By the way... Interesting comeback. Baylor comes all the way back to win that competition. 36-35. I think they were down 35 to like 7 at one point in time or something like that. I, I've got to look at the film to that game, but that's that's insanity. But either way, I digress. Kansas State, I think, is a more solid football team than LSU. And if LSU and Kansas State were going to line it up right now, I would actually probably favor Kansas State. Right? These are teams that are that are not ranked in the top 25 right now. That you got LSU. I would even bite if you wanted to. I would even bite on undefeated Air Force right now, sliding into the top 25 slot somewhere. They've been dominant in their conference. They're conference champions from last year. They have a great program. Like maybe give a service academy a little bit of love. But a two-loss LSU team that has looked like hot. Garbage in both of their losses, to be honest with you. Uh, I just, I don't see it. I have no issue with Fresno, and I think Louisville is inflated right now. I know that they're 5-0, and but when you look at the competition that they played, they won against Georgia Tech, not impressive. 
Indiana, once again, not impressive. Murray State, who gives a shit? Boston College, one of the worst teams in all Power Five, and they just squeak out a win against a zombie NC State team. So not exactly um, impressive stuff. I think they are the sacrificial lamb being moved up into the top 25 to be fed to Notre Dame this week. So Notre Dame can get another ranked win on their on their resume, to be honest with you. I think that's how the politics of this is kind of working out a little bit with some of the top 25 voting. But anyway, that really kind of does it. Those are my thoughts on the midseason form as we've moved for some of these teams, right? What I see out of them so far, what we have seen out of them on the field, right? And what I see is, like I said, just sort of a wide open race with so many killers, so many different contenders running around. A Pac-12 that is literally, they should they should call it the Pac-12 this year, right? You've got Washington, absolute axe murderer right now. Struggled a little bit with Arizona, but has looked very good in every other competition. Michael Penix, Heisman candidate, right? You've got Oregon, trucking, teams running right through I am convinced they are solidly one of in my opinion I've got them as one of the five best teams in the country right now with what they've been able to do with that squad you know we're talking about these teams and what I want to get at right now is leave your preseason thoughts leave your preseason preconceptions at the door because it's not how you thought it was going to go. It is not playing out exactly how any of us thought it was exactly going to go. The, the, the conferences, the power dynamics have shifted a little. Some, some programs of yesteryear have made a resurgence. Some programs that have dominated recently have taken a little bit of a step back. And right now it's anybody's game. So that's my point. As we've moved here to midseason... But these next two months are where we're really going to separate the chaff from the wheat, and it should be really interesting stuff moving forward. And I cannot wait to see how these matchups are going to play out. I can't wait to see how these teams are going to continue to progress as we move forward towards the conclusion of the season, which already, unfortunately, <laughs> it feels like we're starting to stare down. The, the first set of playoff rankings are coming out in just a couple of weeks, for God's sake. So it's just... It's one of those things that, you know, it's bittersweet. As we get to the championship rounds, it also means that the season is starting to pass us by a little bit. But here at midseason, these teams taking form, I don't know. What are your thoughts, right? Those are just mine. I've talked for almost an hour about what I've thought about these different teams. I wonder what your thoughts are. So if you enjoyed your time with us here today on the Any Given You podcast, I certainly appreciate you listening to us and sticking with us this long. If you haven't already, please tell some of your friends about the podcast as it will help spread some awareness about the show. I would love to get more people over to the show and over to the socials as well. They can follow us at, at any given you as well as our Facebook page and Facebook group. Just send a request. We'll come in. We'll talk football 24-7, 365. And remember, this show is one take stuff, man. So I understand that, you know. Uh, it's not as glitzy, glamoury, and produced sounding as a lot of other shows and a lot of other podcasts that you might listen to, but this is start to finish one take stuff that I, I do here, and it's off the rip, it's off the dome, and it's because I have a passion for this. So I appreciate you spending time with me and listening to this college football talk. And remember, 
any given time, any given place, any given team, you'll get it here at any given you. 